where do you get hope in a world that so often seems so hopeless? I'll be honest, in the last couple years, I feel like in some form or fashion, I've been encountered with that question more in two years than in probably the previous 23 years of ministry. Now, it's not always the exact same words or it's not always phrased the exact same way, but I've sat in rooms, I've been with people, I've been in circumstances where over and over again, the question seems to be something along the lines of where do I find hope in a world that seems so hopeless? People get encountered with things in their life or circumstances around them that seem beyond the ability to handle. And the question becomes, where is hope in a world that allows something like this to happen? Let me give you a few examples of things that just I've sat with in the last couple years. Uh, this last year, one of our CSF campuses had a student leader who was just on fire for Jesus, loved Jesus, was making a difference on their campus, was leading people to Christ, was influencing people that worked at the college where they go. And in the midst of all of these things that were going on, she lost her battle to mental health and took her own life. And I, and I went to this campus and I sat with students and student leaders and staff and volunteers of CSF at that campus and over and over again from each of them in a, in a different way. The question was, Justin, where do I find hope in a world where a young person takes their life and it seems so hopeless? In the last couple of years, just at CSF where I work, we have 22 staff, uh, and amongst our staff, we lost, I think, four family members to COVID. We had a staff person who lost a 31-year-old sister to COVID, a healthy young person. And as I sat with them and, and we visited somewhere along the line, the question became, where's the hope in a life that's taken too soon? I've sat with one of the people who works with us who's been battling a debilitating disease for years. Years and years of tiredness and pain and it affects their life and just when it seems like they found the right drug or the right therapy and things turn a corner, then it hits again and takes them back down and over and over again I've sat with them and, and thought, God, where is the hope in something that seems like it has no solution? I've sat with friends in the last couple of years who have lost a child to disease, and the question in the room becomes, God, where is hope in a world that children die? I've sat with families in the last couple of years who desperately want a child and would be a loving mother and father and a family, and yet have been unable to have children, and the question becomes, God, where is hope when life seems so hopeless? I've sat with friends in the last couple years whose marriage had been on the rocks for years and years, and they just seemed like they were turning a corner. Like we just started seeing how God was healing this, and it felt like they were over the hump, and that things were all on the downhill, and then it, out of nowhere, he walked away. And as I spoke to his spouse, the question in, in some form or fashion became, God, where is the hope in a world where families are abandoned. I've sat with a friend who had a two-year engagement ended out of nowhere. And he says, Where, where's the hope when all my plans have gone awry? 
Just a few weeks ago, a colleague of mine in ministry who I did a lot of stuff with here in Wayne, uh, when I ran FCA, he lives in a different place. He passed away suddenly, a young, healthy, vibrant guy who left behind a wife and young children. And it begged the question, even in my own mind, of God, where is the hope in a world where families are left without a father? Where do you get hope? in a world that seems so hopeless? That question over and over and over again in the last two years, I feel like has popped up almost on a weekly basis. I, I literally feel like I've heard that in some form or fashion more in two years than in 20 years before. Justin, where do I find hope in, in a world and in circumstances and even in my life that seems so hopeless? If I'm being honest with you, church, in the last couple years, I feel like I've been tempted in that question more than the previous 41 years of my life. There have been moments where I have went to God and said, God, where is the hope in a world that, to be honest with you, just seems so hopeless? Well, this morning, we're going to be in Isaiah 35. But before we read Isaiah 35, we need to understand the people that God is speaking to. I'm going to warn you this morning, I, I've said this all week to a few of you, this might be the weirdest sermon I've ever preached in my life. It's, it's going to be incredibly different, but I feel like God has something, not just that he wants to say this morning, but I think God has something by the power of his Holy Spirit that he wants to do this morning. And in Isaiah 35, before we read this, God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah to a people who are asking that same question. He's speaking to God's people, to Israel, who have been asking the question in some form or fashion for generations, God, where is the hope in my world that seems so hopeless? God is speaking to a people who have walked away from God, come back to God, walked away from God, come back to God, and walked away from God over and over and over again. They have failed over and over and over again and asked the question, God, where's the hope when it seems like all I do is fail? God is speaking to a group of people who have been in captivity in some form or fashion for generations. And they're asking the question, God, where is hope in a world where I have no hope of freedom, it seems like. God is speaking to a group of people who in some form or fashion throughout history have seen God do miraculous things and then have spent years where God didn't speak to them. And they've had to have asked the question, God, where is hope in a world where you seem so silent? And over and over again, the people of Israel asked the question, where do you get hope in a world like this? And church, I, I think that question is never more real than it is today. Where do we find hope in a world that seems so oftentimes to be hopeless? As I read through this this week and prayed, I was reminded of this story, and I promise that it will make sense by the time we're done. When I was a kid, I think four or five, I'll have to ask my mom when she's in the second service. <laughs> She'll correct me. If you know her, you'll know that. Um, and I was four or five, and my grandpa bought us this piano. It still sits in our house in my oldest son's room, and, and this thing is a brick. 
all right? Like it is all for me and another guy my size, it's all that we can do to barely pick it up off the ground and shuffle it like three feet. It is the most heavy, monstrous thing I've ever seen in my life. I hate moving it, which is why God has had me move it like 574 times. And I remember when I was a little kid and this piano was delivered to our house, this guy got out of the truck and I was four or five and my grandfather and my dad and my older brother went down to the guy at the truck to help him load it into our house. You had to go up about five or six stairs, turn, and then go over a threshold to get it to where it belonged in our home. And this guy got out of the truck and he was a big guy and I remember this, he looked at my grandfather and my dad and my brother and he said, fellas, this will just be easier if you let me do it myself. And I remember in my mind thinking what those three were thinking too, no way. Like how do you move a piano by yourself up the stairs? This is like 40 years ago, so it's not like there was some big mechanical thing he could use. And I will never forget this. It is imprinted in my brain. It's probably the only thing I remember from five years old. And he got to the foot of the stairs, and there's a peg on the back of the piano, and he grabbed the front, and I kid you not, this guy went, and he picked it up. And he went up the stairs one at a time. He just kept carrying it. And we're all sitting there. Our jaws are on the floor. And he gets to the top. He goes, up oh, just a second. And he doesn't set it down. And he rests it on his hip. And he scratches his nose. And then he flips it around. And he brings it into our house and puts it where it always belonged. And I tell you that story to tell you this. I had no hope that this guy could do what he said he could do. And you know why? Because he was going to do something that was beyond my earthly ability to comprehend. He was going to do something that honestly was otherworldly in my little five-year-old mind. I was going to experience and see something that was beyond anything I had ever experienced, and it was beyond my earthly limited ability to comprehend. And I tell you that story to tell you this. We're about to read in Isaiah 35 where God tells his people what's coming. And in Isaiah 35, God is going to describe what will happen when Jesus comes. He's going to describe a hope that is coming that I would suggest to you is beyond yours and mine earthly ability to comprehend. He's going to describe things that defy worldly explanation. He's going to say things that will happen that make no sense to the world we live in. He's going to describe a hope that is beyond our human ability to understand. Isaiah tells his people who are asking this question, where do I find hope in a world that seems so hopeless? And Isaiah says hope is coming. He's describing a Messiah that will come. And he's been telling them that they will be judged and then Jesus will come and he will redeem all of mankind and this is what will happen, he says. He says, the wilderness and the dry land will be glad. The desert will rejoice and blossom. It will blossom abundantly. It will rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon will be given to the desert. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon, they shall see the glory of the Lord and the majesty of our God. He says, so strengthen your weak hands, make firm your feeble knees, say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong and fear not, behold your God will come. Your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God he will come and he will save you. He says, the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf will be unstopped, 
The lame man will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. Waters will break forth in the wilderness, and there will be streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, and the thirsty ground will spring with water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass will become reeds and rushes, and there will be a highway there, and it will be called the way of holiness, and the unclean will not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way, even if they're fools. They won't go astray. No lion will be there, no ravenous beast will come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed will walk there. The ransomed of the Lord will return, and they will come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will be on their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Isaiah says there will come a day where even the desert, the driest, most hopeless place in all the world, will be lush and beautiful with life. Isaiah compares what will happen, Carmel and Sharon and and Lebanon, all these places he's describing. They're some of the most beautiful places of creation in all the world in Isaiah's time. And he says that when Jesus comes, he will bring such hope and such beauty and such redemption that even the worst, most desolate places that you can imagine will spring forth with the most beautiful life. He tells them that hope is coming. And Israel, like many of us, have asked this question, God, where do I find hope in a world that seems so hopeless? Well, church, I'm going to give you an answer this morning that you might not like. Where do you find hope in a world that seems so hopeless? You don't. Hang on. (laughs) You don't. See, hope is not found in the things of this world. Hope is found in the one who created rules and will restore the worlds. Let me say that again this morning. Hope is not found in the things of this world. Rather, hope is found in the one who created, who rules, and who will restore all worlds. And his name is Jesus. Where do you find hope in a world that seems so hopeless? You don't. You find it in one who is beyond this world. That's it. That's the sermon this morning. There's no other point, there's no other clever story. There's, there's one thing that you and I need to walk out of here with this morning. That my hope is not in the things of this world. The things of this world cannot turn desert into life. The things of this world cannot bring hope out of darkness. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can I find my hope. Kent Hughes, the the Bible scholar, says the way of man in the world is to make the inhabited things uninhabitable. He, He says the way of God is to take the barren things and make them abundant. He says to make it simple, in other words, we spoil and God renews. We spoil and, and, and God renews. 
And so church, this morning, the reality is that you and I do live in a spoiled world. You and I have circumstances in our life that seem hopeless by the world's standards. You and I live in a world that it's easy to look at and go, where is hope found? I can't find it next door. I can't find it across the street. I can't find it here because the reality is my hope is not of this world. It is beyond this world. And Isaiah tells Israel the same thing that Scripture tells us over and over and over and over again. Hope is found in a man named Jesus. And he is coming to set everything wrong in the world right. Where do you find hope when your life seems hopeless? You find it in the author of life. You find it in a Savior who will come again and he will make all things wrong right. He will make all things broken whole. He will make all things dead alive. And Isaiah tells us that even that all we need to do is follow him. All we need to do is get behind Jesus and he will lead us on this path called the way of holiness. My favorite thing in this scripture is it says those who follow the way, those who follow Jesus will go on the way of holiness and even if you're a fool, you won't fall off of it. That gives me a lot of hope. <laughs> Jesus says, or Isaiah says, as long as you follow Jesus, even if you're a moron, you won't lose your way. And I'm like, I'm in, buddy. And, and, and there's a verse in here that the ESV, which is what I read out of, translates says, those on the way of holiness will obtain joy and gladness. But actually, the NIV probably gives a little bit better picture of what the Greek intended. And the NIV translates it this way. I love this phrase. It says, those of us who follow Jesus, those of us who are on the way of holiness, gladness and joy will overtake them. I love that idea because here's the deal, church. If you're here this morning and you feel like hopelessness and darkness and failure and hurt is overtaking your life and your soul, Isaiah promises that there will be a day that those who follow Jesus, that will all be wiped away. And in the same depth of darkness, the same depth of hopelessness that we so often feel, it's just a small fraction of how much we will be overtaken by gladness and joy when Jesus comes again. My hope is not in this world. It is in a man named Jesus who will come again and he will overtake those who follow him with joy and gladness. And so this morning, if life seems hopeless, if the challenge you're facing seems too great, if the diagnosis that you've been given seems permanent, know that your hope is not in this world, in this earthly life. It is in one who is beyond this world. My hope is not in this world. It is in a man named Jesus who created, who rules, and who will come again and restore all worlds.
My hope is in a man who will come and he will pick me up. He will look at everything this world has to offer and he will meet me in the depth of my sin, in the depth of my struggle, in the depth of my hopelessness, in the depth of my darkness, and he will meet me right there. And he will tell all the things that the world offers. He will say, guys, step aside. This will just be better if you let me do it. And Jesus, with a strength that is beyond compare, will pick you and me up. And he will carry us home to the Father where we always belonged. And I don't know about you, but for me, that is beyond my earthly ability to comprehend. I can't understand why Jesus would live a perfect life and then he would die so that he could carry the weight of my sin and shame so that I could go home with God forever. But you know what I've discovered in 43 years of life? I don't have to fully comprehend it. <laughs> I just have to believe it. And my hope this morning is not in the things of this world. It's certainly not in my ability to figure everything out and to get everything right. My hope is not in the people around me. My hope is not in the right leader in government or the right law being passed. My hope is not in finding the right job or finding the right person or finding the right thing or having the right pastor. My hope is not in those things. My hope is firmly and solidly in a man named Jesus who will come again and set everything wrong right, who will take my broken and beaten failure of life and he will make me whole. And my hope this morning, church, is that's where your hope is too. And so this morning, the band's gonna come. I told you this is gonna be different. Normally, I'd have five other points and a couple funny stories. But as I prepared and prayed and sought God this week, I just, over and over and over and over again, just kept feeling like God was saying, let a simple truth speak and let my Holy Spirit move. So this morning, we're gonna do something just a little bit different, not a lot. But in a minute, I'm gonna read from Revelation 21 and 22, where John describes for us the hope of what will happen when Jesus comes again. It's the same feel and description that Isaiah was giving God's people before Jesus came the first time. And in Revelation, John has it revealed to him, and Jesus speaks to John, and Jesus tells us the hope that is coming that is beyond this world. So I'm going to read those, and then this morning we're going to have a simple time of prayer. And I'm willing to bet that some of you here this morning maybe just need a little help with remembering the hope of Jesus. And so I'm going to read from Revelation, and then we're going to sing two songs before communion. And I've got a couple guys. Adam is here. Joel Johnson will be up here. Megan, my wife, will be up here. And we just want to invite you, if you're here this morning, and you just need prayer, we want to invite you to just come and sit in one of the front rows. They'll be in these three rows. 
And we just want to invite you to sit, and they want to pray with you. And you're free to tell them whatever you want, or you're free to just sit there and go, could you just pray for me? And they're going to sit with you, and they're going to pray that God would remind all of us this morning of the hope that is beyond this world. And we want to just take a couple, we're going to take a few minutes this morning and have an opportunity to, to do that, to provide that for you. Because I, I don't know about you, but for me, sometimes I need help putting my eyes back on Jesus. And so we want to invite you, whatever you're going through, whatever you're struggling with, whatever is going on in your life, to just come and let somebody pray with you that we would put our eyes on Jesus, the hope of eternity. Let me read. In Revelation 21, it says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And John said, the first heaven, the first earth, they passed away and the sea was no more. I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne that said, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will be no more. There will be no more mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things will have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making all things new. And he said, write this down. These are words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I'm the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end to the thirsty. I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. And then the angel showed me the river of life, bright as a crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree for the healing were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. A night and night will be no more. They will need no lamp, no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Church, that is who my hope is in this morning. That is the answer to the age-old question of where is hope in a hopeless world. It always has been, it always is, and it always will be in a man named Jesus who created the world, who rules all mankind, and who will come again to restore everything back the way God intended, including you and me. I hope that that is who your hope is in this morning. If it's not, boy, we would love to talk to you about that. If it is, and you just need some prayer this morning, please take these next two songs to come and let us pray with you. Let Joel and Megan and Adam just, just pray over you for God's hope to become more and more real in our lives. So you don't have to stand this morning. We're going to invite you to worship however you feel led. If you want to stand, you can. You can sit. You can kneel. You can come and receive prayer. We invite you to put your eyes on Jesus.
and your hope in the Savior this morning. Please come if you'd like prayer as we sing.